Welcome to the Wittenberg Hour. The world is very evil. The times are waxing late. Be sober and keep vigil. The judge is at the gate. The judge that comes in mercy, the judge that comes with might, to terminate the evil, to diadem the right. Hello and welcome to the Wittenberg Hour, where we explore big questions and discuss that which endures by means of that which has endured that scholars may endure. My name is Jocelyn Benson, and I serve as head teacher of Wittenberg Academy. How do the hymns of the church year, especially the hymns at the end of the church year, guide and order our days? What have they to teach us about the Christian life? Joining us today to discuss the hymns of the last Sundays of the church year is Conter Thomas Locke. Conter Locke teaches music for Wittenberg Academy. Conterlock, at Wittenberg Academy, we speak often of the church year and how it serves to order our days. Part and parcel with that is the hymnody of the church year. We are in the midst of the last Sundays of the church year, and then we head straight into Advent, which begins the church year. Thinking from a 50,000-foot view, how do the hymns of the end of the church year lead us out of and then into the church year. Now, being in Denver, uh, we don't think of 50,000 feet. We think of 5,280 feet. <laughs> Very good. Good Or if good you call. into the mountains, about 14,000 feet. Right, right. Uh, to get back to the issue, the end of the church year, sometimes called All Saints Tide, also sometimes called the extension of uh, Michael Tide, primarily looks forward to the coming of Christ in his glory. It speaks of the last judgment with the eternal torment of those who do not believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior and the glory of the saints, those who believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior. As uh, we confess in our catechism with the third article of the creed. On the last day, he will raise me and all the dead and give eternal life to me and all believers in Christ. This is most certainly true. So the hymns of this time stress this theology. Judgment, damnation, and salvation by grace, through faith. That is the, the primary part of the end times. And throughout all of this, we must remember uh, that the judgment is not on good works, whether we have done them or not, but on Christ's mercy, his forgiveness. And then we keep hold of his good works and do good works in return. So that is the end times overview. So with that big picture in mind, which it's, it never ceases to amaze me. The, the more I study the church year, the more the, the, the history and just what a gift has been passed down to us. It's, 
it, it never ceases to amaze me. So thank you for all of those insights that you just packed into that small amount of time. That's fantastic. With the big picture in mind, let's dive in and take a look specifically at the traditional hymns of the day sung at each of the last Sundays of the church year. According to my notes, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, the third last Sunday, we sing, Preserve Your Word, O Savior. The second last Sunday, we sing, The Day is Surely Drawing Near. And then the last Sunday, we sing, Wake Awake, For Night is Flying. How do these hymns help us order our days, and what have they to teach us about the Christian life? Well, let's start with Preserve Your Word, O Savior. Uh, that is uh, 658 in Lutheran Service Book. Uh, it's under Church Militant. The, the author was Andreas Griffius. Uh, pardon me if I spoke that wrong. He is one of these who lived in the time of the Thirty Years' War. We get a lot of our hymnody from this time, and we think of it, and it is so poignant because of what they are having to deal with. This is a man who had to flee from what is now Poland, uh, Silesia. Uh, he had to flee to Holland just to escape the invading armies and the persecution. So hymns in general have two very specific things that we should focus on. And sometimes we focus on the one but not the other. We often say, as I believe it was Augustine, that he who sings prays twice so that hymns are prayers. But they are also preaching. And when we sing, we are taking part in the, the proclamation of the church. This hymn primarily deals with the prayer aspect. Preserve your word, your honor, your church, your flock, your preaching during the latter days. And, you know, people like Griffius would have thought they were in the latter days as they were, but they were experiencing that in more, more pain and angst than we have today, even with what is going on in our American situation with COVID election and everything. For them, this was a matter of life and death, and that it should be ours. You know, when we are speaking of faith and being preserved, we are speaking of life and death. Remember, we have somebody out there who wants to destroy us. And that, of course, would be the devil, the one who goes around like a prowling lion, seeking whom he may devour. In this prayer, besides preserving from these, we also it also includes speaking of smiting of the foe and the blasphemer. But not only that, that those who are in error would be converted. So we are praying also for her enemies, that they would believe in Christ Jesus, and that all people would know his name. Now, we do have also a reference to holy baptism with the living water, and that is in which we live. We daily 
drown and die the old evil Adam and rise again, living in Christ. Uh, that is speaking of our baptism linked to our daily life. One of the stanzas that was omitted uh, also had reference to heavenly food, the Lord's Supper. Um, I'm not on a committee that made any of these decisions, so don't ask me why that was taken out. But we need reserving. As we said before, the devil knows the ones who have been marked with the triune God's name in baptism. And for from his side, that is a target at which to aim. And that is something we should ponder, uh, that yes, we are being aimed at by the devil, yet our baptism is a great, great blessing, for it clothes us in Christ's righteousness. That's far superior to anything that the devil may do. Christ has promised that none will be taken from his hand. That is why often one of the pictures of the church, especially the church triumphant, is the is almost like the hand of blessing coming down, but it's slightly folded, and inside it are the saints clothed in white. Let's take a listen to the first stanza of Preserve Your Word, O Savior. Preserve your word, O Savior, to us this latter day, and let your kingdom flourish, enlarge your church, we pray. Oh, keep our faith from failing, keep hope's bright star aglow. Let nothing from truth turn us while living here below. The imagery in this hymn is fantastic. And I, I, I love the fact that you bring up this, this kind of dual purpose of hymnody that, that it is a prayer, but at the same time, it's, it's a sermon being preached to us and thinking about the context of the 30 years war, there was such an urgency in that context because these guys didn't know if they were going to be alive the next day and the, the gospel must be preached. And so it gives us really something to hold on to in terms of as we sing these hymns in our day, giving us some context for our times to know the context in, in which it was written, but also it kind of reinforces the timelessness of these great hymns. Yes, indeed. Now, do you know anything about the the tune change from TLH to LSB? Well, actually, you know, that is something I am in error. I did not look up. Give me uh, just a second. I have my hymnal, hymnals handy. Uh, 264. 
So that was under the Reformation section. Oh, yes, indeed. It is a huge difference. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> because it's, you know, when in the TLH, it's the same tune as O Sacred Head Now Wounded. And yes, it is the Passion uh, Chorale. Yeah, and so it, it's it's a very different feel. It is a different feel. Now, I don't want to speak ill of hymnals. Anybody right. who puts a hymnal together has a very difficult task. Absolutely. Uh, when they put TLH together, some parts of the world were already in World War II, and we soon would be. So they had you know pressures to get it out. And everybody knew we were going to be in World War II soon. It was just a matter of time. And they got the hymnal out. They didn't get all the accompanying materials out that they normally would have, which is how we got this speak, sing back and forth between people and congregation, because they didn't get the pastor's part out yet. Ah, okay. The other thing with dealing specifically with this uh, tune is there are a number of tunes, I can think of two especially, that were used a lot in TLH for texts. For instance, the Passion Chorale was used for a number of texts. Uh, the Vater the Unser, the Lord's Prayer setting by Martin Luther, was used for a number of texts. Uh, so I don't know how historic this tune with that, but it is. it does bring about the poignancy of the prayer, whereas the tune, I believe it's Munich, and LSB yes. doesn't have that same poignancy. Actually, the best option would be if somebody actually composed a tune for this text. That is, um, we try not to use the same tunes over and over and over again. And an actual tune set for this text would be a something. It's something I've considered. I have not done it. Uh, but it would be something that would be good for somebody to do. Uh, but yes, the poignancy of the the Passion Chorale with the poignancy of the text does fit. I, I, it is just my opinion the Passion Chorale was used too often. But the text does remain the same. And whatever way you sing it, it is a reminder that, yes, we are praying this. But as a reminder, we should be praying this every single day. Certainly. And oftentimes these things leave our mind and we don't think of them again until we get to November or to, you know, maybe October or September. But they often just leave our mind. But right now the church is suffering persecution. I mean, how many churches, and I won't ask anybody in particular, how many churches are even having live services? Because the state is trying to mandate. And I'm not getting into all of this, but that is a weight upon the church. Certainly. Absolutely. And I think of these hymns, especially in the circumstances in which we live, as very much the prayer and the battle cry simultaneously of the church. And this is why hymnody is such a gift. It comforts us it challenges us, it convicts us, you know, and and all of these things very much are our gifts. So that was the third last Sunday. The second last Sunday, traditionally we sing, the day is surely drawing near. 
Yes, and that is an excellent hymn for that. It is somewhat based off of the Dies Irae, Day of Wrath, Day of Mourning, I think is how the, the Latin translation is, uh, by Pastor Ringwald. Martin Luther was still alive when Ringwald was born, in fact, for a few a number of years till Ringwald was a teenager. Ringwald was a uh, Genesio Lutheran, uh, so he was a staunch holder onto uh, Luther's teachings. Now, there had previously been a German hymn based upon the Dies Irae, but Ringwald updated and then improved it, kind of like the hymn that Martin Luther took from John Huss, the communion hymn. It says, a hymn by Huss imp you know, improved, and you almost don't recognize the Huss hymn. Right. Uh, in there. And uh, Ringwald does the same thing. But this text is linked with the sheep and the goats, the judging of the sheep and the goats. And it sets forth that absolute judgment, that day when the trumpet sounds, uh, there is no changing at that point. Uh, th this is one that is just great for that. But in this hymn also is the grace that is shown. Our names, as we believe in Christ, are written in the book of life because Jesus paid the debt that we owe. And again, so this is really a sermon and it's a warning to us, but it is also a prayer. So, you know, it, it goes through the proclamation, especially through the first five stanzas. And then we get to stanza six and seven. May Christ our intercessor be. So it's not only, yes, Christ is the intercessor, but now my intercessor, that through his blood and merit, he would read from his book that we are free. Not just that people are free, but we are free. We shall see him face to face with all his saints in that blessed place where he has purchased us. And then the final prayer, O Jesus Christ, do not delay, but hasten our salvation. And at the end, come mighty judge and set us free from death and every evil. So this is one, it's a great hymn because how well it proclaims the message, but then how it proclaims it to us, and then it turns and is a prayer for us. As we cry out, Maranatha, you know, come, Lord Jesus, hasten and rescue us. A great hymn of the church. Uh, and it's, this is the historic hymn for that day. It's interesting that every time, every era, every epoch, has been praying this same prayer. I've I've found myself in these gray and latter days most recently praying that a lot, you know, come Lord Jesus quickly. And I love how these hymns give us the words to pray. Exactly. They are they are these are timeless texts that what is part of what makes these hymns great is they're not just addressing a little issue that's going on on facebook i see people they write hymns 
based on the political situation of the day. Well, you know what? That hymn's not going to last. Right. This lasts because yes. it is speaking truth of and is speaking objective truth, but then it is made subjective and it becomes ours in the true meaning of the subjective. It is ours that we hold on to. Let's take a listen to that final stanza of The Day is Surely Drawing Near. So then we come to the last Sunday of the church year and one of my favorite hymns, Wake Awake for Night is Flying. It is a great hymn based on the uh, teaching of the parable of the wise and foolish virgins. Philip Nikolai, just the generation after Luther, basically born in 1556, going through uh, 1608. Not only was he a pastor, he was a son of a pastor. This hymn is known as the king of chorales. In contrast to the queen of chorales, uh, the Vichane, like Tet, uh, how brightly shines the morning star. Or They've had three different translations in three different hymnals, I think, so I always get confused. Oh, morning star, how fair and bright. Yep. Anyway, he got a good uh, a good education. He actually ended up helping his father in his ministry also. Yeah, he is another one that kept getting moved around. The Spanish this came in, their armies came in. He had to move. He eventually went to Cologne in secret. And then eventually he went back uh, to Westphalia. And that was just a terrible time. Uh, it was at this time he wrote a collection called The Mirror of the Joys of Eternal Life. And he wrote it just in time for the plague to hit. He lost 1,400 of his parishioners in 1597 alone. In July of that year, he lost 300. And so having these hymns of his, and of course the standard hymns, that from of old did help him and his parish during this time. And what you know, right after this, he had to flee again because of the uh, Spanish invasion. He was one of the concordists, very supportive of, of the Book of Concord. This hymn then is written, it, as far as I can see, right before the plague hit. It was already published or was just being published. Great hymn, as I said, on the um, wise and foolish virgins. And really, it gives you the text in the hymn, the Matthew 25 text, but it gives also the preaching of it. And it has this dialogue going on. Uh, you know, uh, 
Wake, awake, for night is flying. The watchmen on the height are crying. Awake, Jerusalem, arise. Okay, the watchmen, I believe, it would be how he would see it, but, you know, others may have different interpretations. That's your pastors. Wake up. The night is flying. The, the end times are always one day closer. Midnight hears the welcome voices, and after thrilling cry rejoices, Where are ye, ye virgins wise? And the bridegroom comes, and we prepare, even as brides waiting for the bridegroom. That is a wonderful uh, statement. Uh, and that's, you know, we, we think of that, and that's the hymn stanza, if we know any hymn stanza of this hymn. That's the one we usually know. But this is just getting started. You can tell this is one of my favorite hymns. These virgins are waiting with faith. And you have the wise ones who are waiting with faith. You have the, the foolish ones who have, I would say, been baptized. They're part of the church. But their faith has flickered out. Uh, they have not held on to the righteousness they have received. And also we have the linking of paradise as the wedding, going all the way back to Genesis 1 with Adam and Eve. Genesis 1 and 2 with Adam and Eve in the garden before they are cast out. Which reminds us, what do we see at the end of Revelation? We see the paradise. We see the tree of life right there from which we can partake. So we have the singing, and now is the time. Stanza two. Again, the watchmen are singing, and the, the whole church is thrilled and, and is joyful because now is the time. So the Lord is coming. And then it goes on. But how is he coming? And here is the key with the translation. TLH, LW got the ending of this completely wrong. So here we go. Hail Hosanna. We enter all the wedding hall to eat the supper at thy call. The supper, das Abendmahl in German, which is the actual text there. I had not seen this artwork before, but I've seen it in many old German Lutheran churches. On my vicarage, they had a painting just as you enter into the nave, and it was the Lord's Supper. And underneath it, it had the word Das Abendmahl. Now, for many people, well, yeah, hello, that's exactly what it's talking about. Well, it's something I hadn't thought about really well at that time, just linking the German. I didn't know German well enough, but then uh, my, my supervisor pointed out, that's the evening meal, that's the Lord's Supper. I said, gotcha. Well, that is what was in this hymn. And in the translations before, it always left out the supper. Uh, so that is hugely important. So he is coming... Yes, he is coming in the future, but, and that may come any minute, but he is coming now to all of us in the supper. And now that the, uh, the hymns are still getting just warmed up, I think, we often overlook 
the last stanza, I mean, yes, it's a grand stanza the way it's written, and it's written fine, but it misses some things in here uh, when you go into it. There is a big linking of this and Christmas. At the end of the stanza here, we rejoice over this uh, in the, um, and then it goes, Eo, Eo, uh, and then, Evig in Dulci Jubilo, ever in sweetest jubilation. Well, that in Dulci Jubilo is actually another tune and another hymn, the Christmas hymn. Now, sing we all rejoice is how we know it, but it's in sweetest jubilation. So we almost start the church here with in Dulci Jubilo, and we end the church here not only sweetly singing, but sweetly singing and rejoicing eternally. If that was not enough, uh, the beginning of this stanza, that we have in our hymnal, now let all the heavens adore thee. Fine. It's not exactly uh, what uh, Nikolai had to say there. And translation is hard, so I, I give people the benefit of a doubt. But he, really, it's... It starts out, um, glory, gloria be sung to thee. So that same song of the angels is now being sung here at the beginning. And what does it say? With men and angelic voices or tongues, with harps and bells. Uh, so it's a lot of rejoicing uh, going on. Then the rest before we get to the end is describing what that city's looks like, and that we are part of that city, part of the cohort with the angels. So not only are we singing with them, but we are literally with them and part of them. We are not angels, but we are part of that heavenly host that sees things that we have not yet seen and hears things that we have not heard and with such joy. Uh, this is a hymn. And the more I look at this, uh, the more I have to consider. I mean, I always do it if we've got it available with brass, with handbells, because bells are mentioned in the text uh, that just give it an extra rejoicing. But it's one of these, it's what is, if we've got any instrumentalist in the congregation that can even play, that can play even the melody, we should probably have them on here because that's what it's talking about. All of the instruments of of heaven and earth, all the voices being joined together in this great Gloria in excelsis. And if you think about the readings for the last Sunday of the church year, and not just the the wise and foolish virgins, but also thinking about the the text from Isaiah that talks about the new heavens and the new earth and be glad and rejoice and all of all of these sorts of things i'm i'm seeing this hymn and these readings and the connections between them i'm seeing them all in new light given what you you've really drawn out for us this is absolutely incredible well i do have to admit that part of my knowledge of this uh comes from uh, one of my mentors, Carl Schalk, who a number of years ago wrote something about the uh, linking of the 
induce you below at Christmas time and in this hymn. And that just, you know, and I just expanded a little bit on that. But yeah, it's a great hymn. And, you know, rejoicing, rejoicing. There is many number of years ago, you know, almost, you know, 35 years ago or so. I remember pastor I had uh, was doing a class on Revelation. And I remember this was at a campus ministry. I was pursuing my master's degree. And other people were, you know, going for their bachelor's. This one person who I was friends with said, I don't want to go to that. It's all dark. And I, I looked at her and said, well, for every dark thing you see in Revelation, I'm going to find you something that is bright and joyful. And this is what this hymn brings out uh, so much. And so, you know, how we live, because that's we're talking about how, how does this affect our living day to day? Live in joy. Christ is coming. And he is coming to you as you are living in his baptismal grace, you know, being clothed in his righteousness, but he's coming and giving you his own body and blood now so that you are built up and strengthened for the journey and waiting as he will come in glory to take you to himself. For the church is the bride of him, the bridegroom. Absolutely. Absolutely fantastic. I loved this hymn before, but now I think I love it even more. This is this is great. Thank you for 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 opening that for me and and I'm confident that our listeners will will have a similar response as well. May I add just one slight other thing here? Yes, absolutely. I'm sorry. I, I meant to say this before. When it was published, we would, you know, those of us who work with word programming, the justification of the type was center justification. And the hymn text for each stanza comes out as a chalice, in case you didn't get the point before. I love it. I absolutely love it. I'm going to have to get that printed out because that's, that is fantastic. I wonder if anyone has artwork of that. That would be a brilliant idea to do that if they if they don't. I don't know about artwork. I know I I have done it in Word, and I might have saved it as a PDF. But uh, it, it is a, a wonderful thing to see that. Even in English, it comes out as a chalice, because of course it's slightly different text. So wake awake for night is flying brings us to the end of the church year. Let's go ahead and end this episode by listening to Wake Awake for Night is Flying.
Thank you for joining us today for the Wittenberg Hour. Be sure to subscribe to the Wittenberg Hour so as to not miss an episode. If you would like to learn more about Wittenberg Academy, please visit our website at wittenbergacademy.org. You can like and follow Wittenberg Academy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Join us again next time on the Wittenberg Hour.